hey, good morning, everyone. And let me add my happy Father's Day to all of the dads. I'm really glad that we were able to honor Aaron and, and just to, to express gratitude to God for him. Aaron, happy Father's Day to you, brother. You know what you mean to me and my family. But happy Father's Day to all of the dads. Let's get into God's Word this morning. I really believe that He has a word for us on this day. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 78. We're going to be there in a few minutes. But first, a comment that I wanted to make. Last night, the Gospel Coalition held an evening of prayer, a prayer event called A Night of Lament for Racial Justice. Maybe some of you had an opportunity to participate in that. I hope that the Lord met you as you prayed and, and you joined others in prayer to cast your burdens of confusion and anger and fear and pain onto Him. This past Friday, several of us attended a peaceful demonstration right here at Kerr Park in, in an effort to show solidarity to our African-American brothers and sisters and neighbors in this community. It was an opportunity to stand in unity with them. There's a lot, church, for us to process, to pray through, and to learn right now. And as a church, the elders really want to take further steps to ensure that this place is a place where we can all come and hear about and experience God's great love for us in Jesus. Let me encourage you, church, to be taking small steps as the Lord leads you, as the Holy Spirit provides guidance to learn, to pray, to participate as witnesses of Jesus at a time when the world desperately needs the hope that only Jesus can give. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into God's Word. Psalm 78. And on this Father's Day, I want to speak a word concerning generational impact. I want to ask a question. I want to begin, before we even go to the Scriptures, I want to begin with a question. How do you shape a future that you cannot see? How do you shape a future that you cannot see? What kind of impact are we going to make with our lives? What kind of legacy are we going to leave? You know, our lives are making an impact now. What kind of impact are they making? Our lives are making an impact for later. What kind of impact will they make? The Bible, from beginning to end, from the beginning in the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation, carries this theme through its entirety. And the theme is that God's people would leave a lasting imprint on future generations. This is important to God. And it's important to Asaph, who actually wrote this psalm, Psalm 78. We're just going to look at a few verses of it. Asaph was a renowned worship leader in Israel. So Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8, we're going to read that in a moment. I listened to a sermon recently by a man named Crawford Loritz, and I feel like I owe him much of what I'm, I'll contribute in this sermon. In the sermon that, he, that I watched of his, he began with a powerful story that I want to begin with as well. He told of a documentary that had been 
done on the life of Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr., most of you know, if you don't know, was a famous, very popular performer. He was a singer, a comedian, an actor, a dancer. He was very popular in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And Sammy Davis Jr. actually did a lot to bridge racial divides in his, in his lifetime. Well, at his memorial service, another man got up to tell of the great impact that Sammy Davis Jr. had had on his life and his career. His name was Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines was, if you, if you know him or have heard of his name, he's a famous dancer and actor as well. He just passed away recently, I believe, but he was famous in the 80s and 90s for his dancing. And he tells that when he learned that Sammy Davis Jr. was dying of throat cancer and was on hospice in his home where he lived in California, he really desired to, to go visit Sammy and to be able to tell him what great influence he had had on his life. He wanted to go and pay tribute to him, give thanks to him, to honor him. And so he tells of the day he walked into the home and Sammy Davis Jr. was seated, slumped in the couch in his last days. And he was already a tiny man, but he was extremely frail and extremely emaciated from the effects that the throat cancer had had on him. And he couldn't speak any longer because of the, the ravaging effects of the cancer. And so Gregory walked in speaking to this silent man, just sharing with him what great influence he had had and, and how it had really, uh, his influence had really sparked his own career. And he just was there to pay tribute and to give thanks. Sammy Davis Jr. had really invested into this young man. He saw his talent and he sought to encourage him. He even gave him money to the the uh, service and the service they detailed how Sammy Davis Jr. had just been an extremely extravagant man to his own demise. He died without much because he had given so much away. But when he was leaving, he didn't know what else to say. He passed his tribute. He bent down and kissed Sammy Davis Jr. on the head. And then he turned to walk away. And as he was leaving the room, he heard something behind him. He heard this shuffling noise. And he, he turned around to see that Sammy Davis Jr. had gotten up out of his chair and was shuffling towards him. And he shuffled just a little bit more and getting close to Gregory Hines. For anyone grace. What kind of impact will we make with our lives? What kind of imprint are we leaving on future generations? What will we 
pass on with value? That's an important question to God. It's an important concern of God's. It's an important concern of Asaph. He's speaking to those who, like us, often get caught up in our own cultural moment. We do this, guys. This is a danger for us. We get caught up thinking that the divine totality of all that God has done in history, He's doing right now in us. And not all about us, church. It's not all about us. We think it's all about us, but it ain't all about us. God is not all about us. God sees time through history. God's concerned about the impact that we're making with our lives right now. The theme of this psalm, if you read it in its entirety, we're just going to read a couple verses, but if you read it in its entirety, it's this theme of God's redemptive purposes towards a people who are entirely ungrateful and forgetful. But God is portrayed as he truly is, sovereignly, patiently, graciously, mercifully loving. Let's read the text in this section and see what Asaph says to this generation, which is what God says to us in our generation. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, the children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Church, we must give our lives to what is valuable. We must give our lives to what God has determined and deemed valuable. We should give our lives to what the culture really needs, not to what the culture really wants. We should give our lives to what is most important. We should recognize that right now, our lives are making an impact. And so we should ask, what kind of impact? are we making? What kind of impact will we make on future generations? What kind of legacy will we leave? Asaph's concern, God's concern, is that we would get caught up in our cultural moment and lose sight of that which is constant. That which, is in, that which endures. So Asaph says to his generation, hey, listen, don't get cute. Don't get funny. Don't get tricky. Just hold on to that which God has entrusted to you. Don't forget what God has placed into your hands. 
Don't forget that God desires that we pass the torch on to the next generation. Don't forget God's eternal faithfulness to every generation. In other words, what he's saying is right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. Do you believe that, church? This is what God's Word tells us. My organizing question is this. How do you shape a future you can't see? How do you do that? What are the activities that are necessary to shape the future in the way that God would have us? What's at the core of everything you do when you get up in the morning? What Asaph is providing, what God is providing, is a strategy for living a life of meaningful impact. That's what he's providing us with. And that strategy that he's giving us right here in these few verses includes three things. Three things for strat- a strategy for living a life of, of generational impact, of meaningful impact. Three things. A possession, a process, and a product. A possession, a process, and a product. Let's begin with the possession. Impact begins with possession. In other words, you will pass on to others what you indeed have, right? You can't pass on to others what you don't have. So, so it begins with a possession. And Asaph says in verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel. What did God give the ancient fathers? He gave him a testimony. He gave him a commandment. What's the testimony? The testimony is a testimony of the character of God. What's the law? It's the content of scriptures. What has God entrusted to every generation? He's entrusted his character and his content. The character of God, the content of scripture. This is what we possess This is what God has given us. He has given us his character. He has given us the content of his word. Now, you know the story of Joshua, and I know you know it if you've been listening to our sermons uh, while we've been isolated in COVID, because I preached a sermon from Joshua not that long ago. And when I was preaching, I was preaching on the topic of biblical meditation, and I took a, a verse from a section of Scripture in Joshua. You can read about Joshua in the book of Joshua. Joshua took over for Moses, and he took over leading a people that had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and he was going to lead them into the promised land. And God gave him a a very motivating, hype-you-up speech 
at the beginning of his ministry. He repeatedly and repetitively told him the same thing. He, mu he must have known that Joshua was going to feel weak and feel fearful. So he kept saying to Joshua, you know the words, church, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then he repeated something else. He said, listen, if you're going to be successful, I want you to meditate on something. I want you to think about something. I want you to contemplate something day and night and throughout all of the day. What did he say, church? He wanted him to meditate on the law of the Lord. He wanted him to meditate on the Scriptures. And he said, because if you do that, if you do that, Joshua, you will then do the Scriptures. And if you do the Scriptures, then you'll make a lasting impact with your life. And your leadership will be ultimately successful. The bottom line is this, Joshua, the people can't bear a disingenuous leader. That speaks to Fathers on Father's Day. Guys, dads, your family can't bear a disingenuous leader. They can't bear someone who would speak these things but not turn and live these things. You feeling me? We are people that need to know the Word that we might do the Word. God has given us his character, his testimony, and he's given us the content of Scripture. That's what we possess. That's what you hold in your hands. That's what you'll pass on to the next generation. The character of God, the content of Scripture. Are you as passionate as God is about what he has put into your hands? You better believe God's passionate about his character and that he's passionate about the content of his word. That's what he's left us with. That's the irreducible minimum. That's the most important thing. You're going to teach, we're going to teach the next generation a lot of things, but at the core of what we do must be what God has given to us, his character and the content of scripture. Church, we'll pass on what we're passionate about. You've heard people say it's, it's not you accumulate not so much what is taught, but what is caught, what you catch. So, so you observe someone and you take something from their lives, but what you'll take from their lives is what they're passionate about. So, this church, we should ask ourselves, what are we passionate about? Because that's indeed what we're passing on. What are you passing on? What are you passionate about? When we talk about the character and the content of Scripture, the character of God and the content of Scripture, what we're ultimately talking about is the gospel. We're ultimately talking about the good news. That's the theme of the content of Scripture. And when we talk about the good news, we're talking about everything that God has done to save lost sinners. We're talking about everything He's done in Jesus to, to save us. And so what God has given us when He gives, talks about giving us the character of God and the content of Scripture, what He's entrusted to us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message of hope 
for a lost and dying world. It's the message of salvation. And what God is saying in this passage of Scripture is here. I'm giving you this. I'm giving you the gospel. Don't fumble the gospel. Don't set the gospel aside. Don't, don't, tr- don't lay the gospel aside and try some other kind of cute or tricky tactics, or popular ideas of the day. He's saying, don't set that aside. Hold on to the gospel. Don't fumble the gospel. A fumble in a football game can be the difference between winning and losing. If you know anything about football at all, coaches often talk about the, 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 the necessity for eliminating turnovers. You don't want to give the ball up to the other team. So I can just imagine the God, the coach, huddling with us and saying, listen, you have run the good race. You've got a couple more plays to run here. We're going, we're at the end of the game here, and team, we're going to hand the ball off. And then he looks at the person who's going to carry the ball. That's you. He looks at you, and he says, we're going to hand the ball off, and what I want you to do is, No matter what happens, I want you to get both hands on that ball. Do not fumble that football. At all costs, hold on to that football. Do not let go. You might get tackled. I don't care. You might not get very far in running it. Don't carry that football carelessly. Don't carry it out here with one hand. I want you to take that football, lock both hands on that thing, and run forward. You might not get as far as you want, but do not fumble that football. Don't try to get tricky. Don't try to get cute. Don't try to be relevant. Don't be selfish. Hold on to the football. Don't fumble the football. Church, what God is saying to us is this. I have given you the gospel. Don't fumble the gospel. Two hands on the gospel. Don't set it aside. Don't get cute. Don't get tricky. Don't get uh, caught up in the circumstances of your day. Hold on to the gospel. Don't fumble the gospel. Church, Are we holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ or have we fumbled it? Have we set it aside? Will we hold it? Will we run our race holding on to that which God has given to us, has entrusted to us, his character and the content of scripture? Do you want to make a lasting impact? It starts with a possession. And you got a possession. But then the strategy moves on to a process. What's the process? He appointed a testimony, a law, and then he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them. Telling and teaching is the process for passing on. That's the the process. Now, I want you to see here how many generations. It's kind of hard to to figure this out, but but you can start to count how many generations are represented just in these first few, in these few verses. He's talking about their fathers teaching their children that they might then teach children 
yet unborn, that that group yet unborn might rise and tell their children. you got minimally three generations here, but I see four generations represented. God's got a long-term view that, 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 is, that, that exceeds our viewpoint at times. We get so tunnel-focused. We think about our generation and our lives. We can just get so selfish and forget that God's view about our lives is that we would leave an impact that, that, that continues an ongoing impact in future generations long after we're gone. What's the process? What's the process? Well, it's really a simple formula. What God has poured into your life, He wants you to pour into others. It's that simple. That's the process. What God has poured into you, His character, content of Scripture, the Gospel, He wants you to pour that into others' lives. This sermon from this text is a sobering one. Right now counts forever. It's a convicting one. And yet, it's hopeful. This is a sobering, convicting, and yet hopeful statement. Here it is. God will hold us accountable to teach our children and others to know and love Jesus. It's going to hold us accountable to that church. Doesn't that sober you? Doesn't that convict you? And yet, there's hope in it. Because for everyone who is in Christ, when He changed your heart and He put His Spirit in you, that's exactly what you want to do with your life. You want to make an impact. You want to have lasting impact with your life. You don't want to waste your life. You actually want to make impact both now and forever. I've been humbled this week. I've been humbled as I look at this text. And, I, and what I do is what a lot of you are doing right now. You hear a sobering, convicting word like that and you immediately begin to think of all your failures. How you haven't been very good at this. And so I was just praying. It's hard to preach messages where you feel like you're aware of your own fumbles and failures. I know that I could have done better and could do better. I feel aware of some fumbles in my life. I fear at times that I haven't been diligent enough. I think about all the, to all the things, all the times I could have said something that I didn't say. And I think about all the times I could have led family devotions a little more 
a better, more timely, more effectively. I think about all the books. I, I don't tend to think about the books that I did read to my kids or the devotions that I did. I think about all the times that I didn't. And I feel a lack in my life. Maybe you can relate to that. And God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I know it was the Spirit speaking to me. And this is what He said. Kenny, there are some cracks in your discipleship. There are, like, God saying, I'm aware. And that's always scary, too. Like, whenever someone, when you, when you kind of confess a weakness and someone agrees with you, that's like, it's not, it's like, is that encouraging or is that not encouraging? I'm not quite sure how to take that. When God does it, it's different. So I'm aware, I'm sitting there before the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm aware of some cracks in my life. And the Lord's response is, I agree. Actually, what he probably could say, I didn't feel this in the moment, is I'm, way more, I'm aware of a lot more cracks than you are. Your life has been imperfect, Kenny. But take heart. My grace is filling in all the cracks. Grace is filling in all the cracks. Church, take hope in this word. The process of passing the torch to the next generation is more than just Bible studies. It's more than just family devotions. And I'm saying this on Father's Day. It's not less than those things, but it's more than those things. It's, it's really what, what, what God is talking about here is a person with a changed life actually living that life in front of other people is likely to have more impact than the devotions that you lead. Now, the devotions that you lead are important. And listen, if you're sitting here feeling convicted because you need to do more, that may be the Spirit of God convicting you. You may need to do more. God wants to help you. So a great exercise for you if you're sitting and thinking, man, I never do this with my kids, or I, I never try to tell anyone about Jesus. Just ask yourself this question. Spirit of God, what would it look like for me to take one step, just one step, doing what I believe you've called me to. What would it look like for me? You've poured this into me. What would it look like if I just took one step into pouring it into someone else? That's a simple thing to ask, guys. And the Holy Spirit would love to answer it. So sit before the Lord and say, what would it look like for me to take one step pouring what you've given me into others? God will answer that. And then when he does, he'll give you grace to do it. Living our lives in Christ before others is what leaves the greatest impact. And I was reminded of the faithfulness of my great-grandfather. We called him Grandad. I actually knew my great-grandfather. 
And it was because my parents gave birth to me when they were 17 and 19. So, so they had me very young and my brother as well. And we knew our great-grandparents. Now, they were older. He was born in the late 1800s, and I actually knew him. He was orphaned. And he went to school down in Philadelphia at a place called Girard College. I don't think it actually was a college. It was a school for orphaned boys. That's where he went to school. And he got educated in construction and the trades. And he became a very successful superintendent for, at the time, in the, the turn of the century, a very uh, successful construction company called J.S. Cornell & Sons down in Philadelphia. And he worked there his whole life and, and retired. He moved to Gradyville, Pennsylvania with his family. And he raised his family there. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a faithful member of the church that he helped to build right across the street from his home. Gradyville United Methodist Church on Middletown Road. It's still there today. And I can remember attending that church when I was little. I mean, a little boy. And, the, the, and I was unaccustomed to church. We would go there periodically because that's where our fa the family went, the extended family went. And I remember going to that church and the, the pastor, it was a small church, but the pastor doing what I've learned later to be an altar call, giving people a response to come down front and to pray. And I noticed whenever I was there that not many people ever got out of their seats to come pray. But my great-grandfather always... As a follower of Jesus, he would regularly, I can still see his bowed legs stumbling up to that altar where he would pray to God, an authentic prayer. He wasn't praying for other people. He would weep sometimes and humbly cast himself before God. I remember once going into his home and finding him on his knees crying out to God. I would later learn that he regularly prayed for his two great-grandsons, Kenny and Jerry. He died when I was a boy. And he never got to see Me and my brother Jerry commit our lives to Jesus. He never ever got to, sit to hear his great-grandson preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can imagine it would have brought his soul great delight. I have to believe that God heard his prayers and that his life and his prayers and his pursuit of Christ had and is having an ongoing that's a life of impact. That's the process. What's the product? Let's close with this, and it won't take long. 
This is where God communicates very clearly. We've got this strategy for living a life of impact that includes a possession, the character of God, the content of Scripture. It includes a process, which we've just spoken about, pouring what God has poured into us into others. And there's this product, and it's so clear. We just look at these end verses. So that, that's something's coming. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to teach and to tell. We're supposed to give our lives to others. Why? What will happen? So that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, keep his commandments, not be stubborn and rebellious, but be faithful to God. What are we, we going to get, church, if we do this? What's the lasting impact? It's going to be a future generation that lives with a sense of confidence in the character of God. It's going to be people who live confidently in God, who set their hope in God, and that hope will not be rattled despite whatever life brings to them. It's a people who won't forget the works of God. They're not just abstract stories. As people, as your kids, as others and your neighbors are watching your life, your life is writing stories of God's faithfulness. What kinds of stories does your life tell about the faithfulness of the one true God, Jesus? What story is God writing in your family? Do you see, church, do you see the power of God at work in your pilgrimage? You should see that if you are part of Jesus. And I know many of you do. Take time to think about how the power of God is being demonstrated in your pilgrimage. We're going to see one of the outcomes will be a desire to obey. It's a people who will keep his commandments. The outcomes are right there. They're quite clear. You guys can give thought and time to them. In closing, I want to tell you of a fairly popular song from the 80s. I don't know if you'll all remember it, but if you're about my age, you certainly will because it was very popular. It was a song by Dan Fogelberg. It was called The Leader of the Band. And it was a song really dedicated to his father. And the chorus is written. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old. But his blood runs through my instruments. And his song is in my soul. My life he writes, has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I just a living legacy to the leader of the band. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of signature are you writing with your life? What's in your hand? Are you pouring it out? What kind of impact is your life making now? And will it make in eternity? How do you shape a future you cannot see? Church, the answer is not overly complicated. Amen.